Today on Trauma Talk, we're talking with Dan Pugh, preparedness consultant and Team Rubicon volunteer about MCIs and being prepared for extreme weather. Dan, would you please introduce yourself? Sure. Well, my name, as you said, is Dan Pugh. I'm a preparedness consultant. I spent the first part of my career as a government first responder with a passion for disaster planning and response. And then I transitioned to doing that disaster focus full time with emergency management and health departments. In 2017, I left government service to start my own consulting company, and I've been working with governments, nonprofits, and small businesses ever since. I have a bachelor's in organizational management from Friends University and a master's in business administration from Baker University. I also hold a variety of professional certifications, including as a certified emergency manager from the International Association of Emergency Managers. Thank you, Dan. So what precautions in this COVID climate should a hospital or EMS service or even a city take to prepare for extreme weather events? Well, the, the biggest thing I can recommend is to start talking about it now. Look through the protocols in place for weather-related uh, events like mass casualty events, and then look at those plans through a COVID lens. This year is going to be unique in that everything we do has to be centered on not spreading um, this pandemic any further than it already has. We're making great progress right now in the United States, and we need to be able to continue that progress. So as an example, if we're looking through our our mass casualty uh, event uh, plans, where should we pre-stage face masks or hand sanitizer? Uh, Should it be added to a response trailer? Should it be added to your go kits? Uh, do you have an emergency response that gets pulled out when, when something goes wrong? Um, do you, what do you have in there? Do you have the right tools that you need for, uh, for, for responding during a time of COVID? So that's, that's, that's one example. Of course, we already have basic precautions in place for staff. But what do we need to have available to give patients and their families as well? So for hospitals, think of the scenes from Joplin from the tornado. How will you handle the pickup trucks with victims and their four or five family members as they show up at your uh, emergency department? Uh, Suddenly that one to two visitors per person rule is going to be out the window because it's not enforceable. Are you going to kick the family members to the curb during the aftermath of a, 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 you know, severe storm event? Or do you have some other plan in mind for trying to uh, stop the spread as best you can and to deal with it the best you can? And if you if you start now by looking at those protocols and plans and looking at what's happened in hospitals across the country and hospitals in your own backyard during severe weather events, you can start having the conversation of how are we going to deal with this with COVID uh, circulating in our community. So pre-planning with your community partners. That makes sense. What can the individual healthcare worker do to prepare themselves and their family for responding to extreme weather events? So probably the largest thing they can do is to focus on making sure that they have taken care of things at home with their families. Um, we've already seen through through events like Hurricane Katrina and nearly every event afterwards that if first responders can't take care of their families, if healthcare workers can't take care of their families, then they're not going to be a lot of benefit to their work organization either. 
So the focus then is to uh, fo- t- have a conversation with your, your family or your loved ones. Make sure you have a plan for what you're going to do for your pets or your kids or grandma or whoever it is that you help take care of. And, and, and make sure that's solidified and you have those conversations. And then the next step is to make sure you have whatever resources you need. Does that mean bringing extra medicine to work if you have a prescription medicine that you put in a go bag? Um, I, I, I definitely think a personal go bag is a, a great idea. A lot of people already know what they would put in that, but the focus on, hey, if I have to be at work for the next two days or three days, do I have what I need from home to make that happen? And then, again, we have to look at it through, through the idea of, of coronavirus. Do you have your own cache of, of the appropriately sized gloves, uh, masks? Do you have hand sanitizer in there? This is essential for those who are going to be doing especially pre-hospital care. So in a mass casualty incident, uh, an ambulance resources is going to get very quickly depleted. Uh, so in, in working in an austere environment, uh, as many people in the early days of COVID remember when resources were scarce, uh, it, that really highlights the importance of having some backup options. So you think about a cloth face mask, that's something that you might wear when you're out and about. It's probably not something that you would wear treating a patient. But if we run out of the standard supplies when you have when, when you're out in a pre-hospital environment immediately after a mass casualty incident, I think you'd be thankful to have that that cloth face mask if you've run out of everything else. So the idea is what kind of backups do you have that you would want to have with you in those types of situations? Make sure you have those in your in your go bag that and a on a whole lot of hand sanitizer. Do you have any other resources you would suggest for the listener to look into on this topic? Yeah, there there are actually two great resources uh, that anybody in the nation could access. Uh, The CDC has a great set of resource guides for different groups focused on natural disasters and severe storms during COVID. Uh, There's, as an example, there's one from a public disaster shelters uh, and COVID. So how are you going to do that after a natural disaster, but also focus on your on your COVID precautions as best you can. There's one on wildfire smoke and how it affects people who might have been exposed to COVID. So there's there's a lot of resources there and they're designed for different groups. Uh, there's a group that's designed for professionals and emergency workers. There are others that are designed for children, uh, some for people with chronic illnesses, uh, the LGBT community, older adults, and there's, there's a whole lot more in there. So that's definitely a, a, a great place to go look. I'll send you the link so you can put them in the show notes, but uh, you can get those resources at cdc.gov. And then FEMA also has a list of best practices, and they provide some case studies and provide guidance on things like medical supplies or recovery planning. And those are available at fema.gov. I really appreciate how you're bringing up other MCI topics. While it is March and we are discussing extreme weather, Kansas has had an increase in grass fires. Yeah, absolutely. The severe the severe storms we know are always a threat, and we do have our peak seasons in Kansas, but we also have the threat of so many other disasters that could happen, and we're definitely seeing an uptick in some of those types of disasters and absolutely have seen an increase in the damage that they have done. So, Dan, our second topic of discussion, which I'm really excited to hear about, is Team Rubicon. Could you please tell us about Team Rubicon and your position within the organization? Yeah, so Team Rubicon is a 501c3. It's a nonprofit that serves communities 
Our, our focus is mobilizing veterans to continue their service and leverage their skills and experience to help, to help people prepare for, respond to, and recover from disasters and humanitarian crises. Uh, I got. I am currently serve as a volunteer who manages the Wichita metro area. Uh, the title is city administrator, but it's completely a um, a volunteer position, so it's not it's not paid at all. Um, I I was familiar with Team Rubicon from my time in government service, and when I moved into the private sector in 2017, I wanted to find a way to continue to serve my community, and Team Rubicon seemed like a perfect fit to do that. Uh, even though the the organization uh, has a focus on mobilizing veterans and it's a veteran-led organization uh, you don't have to be a veteran to serve with team rubicon so we have a lot of really amazing civilians that have joined myself included who who are able to make a difference in their community by partnering with with veterans and 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 others to to really you know get in and uh, dig in on how we can help in our community and in our nation what missions are team rubicon currently deployed in so far in 2021, we've launched 43 operations, and we have four that are continuing from 2020. Uh, we're currently responding to the recent winter storms in Tennessee, providing route clearance to aid with power restoration, as well as chainsaw work, roof tarping, and muckouts for residents. We're also in Texas doing chainsaw operations, debris removal, and muckouts. Muckouts is not a most uh, a common term, so uh, that is when you go into a place after a, a flood or a rain event, and a lot of silt and nastiness has kind of you know got in there. So we got to get all of the things that don't belong in there out. We're usually removing sheetrock that's gotten wet or or any uh, furniture or anything that's been damaged and removing it from the home and getting that cleaned out so it can dry out, and then uh, then the, the, those people are able to to get that stuff replaced. We also have uh, currently 36 active COVID operations, and we have three more, including Kansas City, on the horizon. In the Wichita area, we're providing vaccination support services, including traffic flow and mobility assistance for those coming in to get a vaccine. We've deployed every Saturday since February 13th of 2021, and we plan to assist for as long as we can. That really is impressive. So could a hospital or EMS service or even the community reach out to Team Rubicon for help during an event? Absolutely. So Team Rubicon is a national VOAD partner, and that's volunteer organizations active in disasters, uh, which means we follow national and state response plans, and they utilize NIMS and ICS, which is basically the federal government's uh, way that we do incident uh, response in the country and uh, also how we do it in Kansas and at the local level. So because we follow all of those plans and we work together across the nation, uh, we work through the local emergency manager to ensure resources coming into an area are appropriately accounted for and documented. So in an emergency situation, if an EMS or a rural hospital needs Team Rubicon support, they can reach out to their local emergency manager and they'll have the information for the appropriate point of contact. Uh, if an agency wants to partner with Team Rubicon on something that's non-emergency related, we are happy to find service projects and events where we can assist in the community. Again, reach out to your local emergency manager or your local VOAD group, and they should have our contact information. So what are the focused areas of response for Team Rubicon? Well, in times of crisis, uh, we have a wide range of capabilities, including incident management, site surveys, disaster mapping, and work order management debris management, hazard mitigation, uh, expedient home repair, and volunteer management. 
We also have some emergency medicine and primary care capabilities that we deploy internationally, uh, but we don't usually offer those services in the United States. Now, during COVID, uh, we also have a few options uh, for what we do. Uh, in, in addition to the support services like traffic flow that we're providing in Wichita, we can also offer a site administration, logistical support, clinical decompression, and volunteer management. And clinical decompression is not the most intuitive of terms. Uh, so based on the accepted scope of practice and in jurisdictions where less advanced providers are authorized to support vaccine administration, uh, we can mobilize volunteers that are at various levels of emergency medical technicians that are not already employed for medical activities. Uh, and in places where uh, jurisdictions grant exemptions, we can also deploy military credentialed medical providers. So the Team Rubicon webpage was a great source of information about the organization. But could you tell me the deal with the gray shirts and how do I earn one? So that's a great question. Uh, these gray shirts aren't something you're just given. Uh, and around Team Rubicon, we have a saying, earn your shirt. Uh, Team Rubicon volunteers, which are known as gray shirts, receive theirs when they deploy on their first operation. Why gray? Well, before deploying to Chile, back when Team Rubicon was just a small squad and a bold idea, uh, the team went to grab matching shirts from the local REI, and gray was the only color in everybody's size. So later, they added Team Rubicon uh, onto it. And finally, the most important part, uh, across the front, there's a white bar where the gray shirts add their name. And this is not just to the shirt, but to the mission and to the difference you will make in your community. And now, I did use the word deploy in there a few times, but I don't want anyone to think that means you have to be a boots-on-the-ground person in the disaster zone to make a difference. Even before COVID, we had deployment options for people who want to serve remotely from their home or who want to travel to one of our operations centers to help coordinate several responses at once. There are many ways to earn your gray shirt, but they are all involved making the sacrifice of your time, your energy, and your hard work to helping communities on their worst days. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, TeamRubiconUSA.org uh, is how you would go get signed up and get ready to deploy so you can earn that shirt. Dan, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate you bringing your expertise on preparedness and Team Rubicon. Are there any other resources you'd like to share with the audience before we go? Just to make sure that you're reaching out to your local emergency managers, your local health department, and any agencies and other uh, networks that you would use throughout the course of your planning for how you're going to deal with these potential severe storm events during uh, a time of COVID, have those conversations early. Do those, do those planning, have those reviews, do them internally, and then do them externally with your partners. And I think that's probably the best thing that you can do to be prepared and ready to go. Thank you for being on the show, Dan. And to our audience, please remember that you can find all these links to everything we talked about today and educational objectives on the episode at our landing page at wesleytraumatalk.podbean.com. You can also email me at aaron.sutton, aaron.sutton at wesleymc.com if you have any questions about this episode or request for further topics. And please remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review about our podcast. Thank you, and I'll catch you next Even Tuesday.